0: I want to thank you for allowing me to be away to preach in Tamage last week. Uh, I was happy to tell you that there was a 13-year-old girl who decided to be baptized, and uh, her parents were not even there, but her grandmother was the one teaching her, and so we're very thankful uh, that uh, another uh, soul has been added to the body of Christ. We're thankful that uh, the family has just gotten a little bit bigger, and we're thankful for salvation and for the Lord. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul talked about the difference between the Old and New Testament and how that the New Covenant is more glorious and it excels far above the Old. It wasn't that the Old was bad, but that the New is just so much better for so many reasons. Some are still blinded whenever they read the Old Law, but those of us who can see Jesus... And it's always been about him, should be enlightened and have our eyes open to see what he allows us to see, the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies and how blessed we really are today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul begins this way. He says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, For we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us here what we're seeing is Paul is talking about our attitudes toward the scripture and the attitudes toward that message that we proclaim and our attitude needs to be in honor of what God has said not in honor of the one doing the speaking which is merely men those kinds of temptations are always present even today it is a temptation for one who speaks and proclaims the gospel to try to impress people with the knowledge or to impress with the ability to articulate maybe for people to walk away and give honor to the one speaking that he's a dynamic speaker, he's a great speaker, he held my attention. It's a temptation to try to draw hearts to, to that but Paul leaves us an example that that's not our focus. Our focus should not be to impress people with ourselves our focus should be to draw hearts to the lord we're just merely servants we're just merely instruments allowed to be used for that reason you know that's that that is something that is still a, a demand You know, Paul said this in 2 2 Timothy 4, that the time would come when people would not endure sound doctrine, but they would heap themselves teachers having itching ears. It's not only a temptation for the one speaking to try to make that about themselves and try to hopefully... I don't know whether it's just that we want to do a job well and we want to feel like we're doing well, but it, it changes the focus whenever we make it so much about that that it it, it causes me to say, hey, look look at that guy preaching, rather than look at what a Savior we have and the one that has given us this message. Paul refers to himself as a clay jar. He says we're just merely vessels carrying a great, valuable treasure. That's got an interesting analogy that he used there. The jar itself is not what's valuable. It's carrying something very valuable. God made man out of clay. And that's what we are. This outward body is temporary. This outer body is referred to by Paul in other places as a tent. A tent is not permanent. A tent is not intended to last forever. You know, it's, it's mobile... That's why you you do it in a tent. It's It's not where you want to be settled from now on. And so we need not have our focus on this outward life. The focus needs to be, or on the one presenting it. But these clay jars are not very valuable. But they serve a great purpose, and that is to carry something so... Valuable. It is the words of eternal life. And if the apostles who had that were then being able to give that to other people, then the focus should be on God and on that message, not on those men. The men themselves suffered. And Paul is using this example that because these, every one of these apostles had suffered for the, to get this message to the people... Then that ought to show you that the message is more valuable than the people who are who are presenting it. And he's using that. We need to make sure that we are not secretly or underhandedly trying to promote our own agenda or that we're trying to promote ourselves and what we want. Paul was an apostle. He had some authority, but he's not abusing that authority. He had told them before that he's not in dominion over their faith. He could have been burdensome as an apostle if he wanted to use that authority that way. But that's not the aim. The aim is to draw people to the Lord. And so not only should our attitude be one thing towards the Scripture, but there's also an attitude we need to have towards the sufferings of this life. And so he points the attention there. Beginning at verse 8, through the rest of the chapter, his, his focus is on the sufferings that we have in the present time. Notice how he refers to it. It's one of the most encouraging uh, passages, in my opinion, to help us. If you are struggling with health, if you're struggling with worry, you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with difficulty, trials, temptation, whatever your difficulties are, this passage hopefully will be of benefit to you. If you're not really going through anything difficult yet, this should help arm you for the time whenever it does to have it in proper perspective. Notice in verse 8, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Look at the things that Paul is drawing your attention to of what he dealt with. Paul mentions how he was shipwrecked, how he was stoned, how he was beaten, how he was imprisoned. How he worried about the people and the churches, and through all of those difficulties, how he was threatened, how he was tortured, how he was mistreated—not only by the enemies of God, but also sometimes by brethren. And when Paul refers to this, look, look at what he—he, he, I don't sense that he's—he's he's not whining, but and he's not trying to do this to try to give himself an extra star or crown he's trying to point us to see that all the efforts and all of the struggle is worth it but I love his perspective that even in all the difficulty he mentions the problem but it's not final it's not the end all be all the problem is not forever And the problem is not terminal to where it's going to be the end of us. Problems are going to always exist. And we need to recognize that. When he says we're troubled on every side, that's that's a bit of an understatement for what Paul has been dealing with, okay? But notice that when he says yet not distressed, how, how is he able to think of it that way? Troubled all around, yet not distressed. I think he's talking about the inward view, the attitude about it, the perspective about it. Isn't it interesting how a person can have what we might view as a, a life where they, we, we think they have it made and yet the person doesn't have a hopeful future? They may be despondent and discouraged and down even though they have so many material blessings. And yet here's Paul with the attitude, I'm going to be content whether I'm full or hungry. The attitude of whether I live or die, I'm going to be with the Lord. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the winning attitude of Paul. That's the kind of attitude I want to learn from. I want to be more like him that regardless of what happens around me, I can't always control that. You can't control that. Bad things happen. People do things. They say things. It's going to happen. It's life. That is the life on this earth. This earth is not heaven. It's not the end-all, be-all. It's not our our ultimate aim and, and hope. Our aim is in heaven. But even while we're on this earth, we should not be defeated and discouraged and bury our head in the sand and give up whenever things get difficult. There's going to be those kinds of struggles. And the kind of struggles Paul was dealing with, he could have had a woe is me mentality. Why are we trying to do the right thing here and why are we getting punished for doing the right thing? But yet, that's not the... the, the language of Paul. We are troubled, but we're not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Sometimes there are situations where you don't always know what's going to happen or what the end is going to be of a thing. Sometimes there are things that are very confusing. But it hasn't caused him to lose heart. Didn't he make that statement earlier in verse 1 when he says, we faint not or some of your translations may say we do not lose heart we're not ready to give up we're not quitters we're not going to give up just whenever times get hard Jesus spoke of the parable of the soils different hearts of people one of those soils is the kind that may grow receive the word for a while receive it with joy then in time of temptation that is when things get hard when your faith is tested, and it will get tested, then what are you going to do? You're going to prove that it's short-lived because you you didn't you didn't have enough root. Where was your faith? Are you going to allow one little difficulty, or a series of a lot of difficulties? Either way, you're going to allow some difficulties to cause you to quit. And be in despair and being distressed to give up, Paul wasn't in verse nine persecuted but not forsaken. Paul did not view whenever he got imprisoned or beaten, his feet were in the stocks, when he was ridiculed and shamed in the public, and that was insulting, degrading, and with all of that. He, didn't, he did not view it that God had forgotten him or forsaken him. He believed, and he said in other places, the Lord stood by me. Didn't Jesus tell the apostles before he left, I'm with you all the way, even in the end of the world? Paul recognized that God was with him even in the difficulties. So no, he's not forsaken. And no, you're not forsaken whenever you go through a difficulty. It's not that God didn't see or didn't care. or, or It's not that he's forgotten about you. That verse that was read by David in the, in, the, in the beginning, in the announcements, mentions that blessed are the death or precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. Even whenever someone dies that belongs to the Lord, God didn't forget them. They're not forgotten they're remembered in verse 10 always bearing about in the body the dying of the lord jesus that the life also of jesus might be made manifest in our body paul referred to his scars on other occasions he mentions that there were these corinthians later that who would have plucked out their own eyes and given it to him does that indicate that maybe there was some problem with his eyes Later he's going to talk about his thorn in the flesh when we get later in the book. I don't really know what that thorn in the flesh was. I don't know if that was related to his eyes. I don't know if that was some other ailment or if that was a person. It doesn't really matter. It was something that was very troublesome and difficult for Paul and he wanted it removed but God chose not to for whatever reason but yet he trusted in God. But to the Galatians, he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And I believe whenever he said that there, the marks were physical. He had stripes laid on him. There were multiple times where he was brought to the point close to death. There were other times when he was stoned, left for dead. When he said, we bear in our body, his body was beaten. Why did he allow his body to go through that? Because the body was a whole lot less important than the message he carried. And he says, we're cast down but not destroyed. In verse 9, being cast down but not destroyed. You know, there are times that knock us down. There's times where it, it humbles us, but it's not the end. But all of these difficulties that he bore in his body, what was the purpose that Jesus could be seen? The next time, and this is the the lesson we should learn from Paul, the next time that we go through difficulty, I need to ask myself, how can I glorify God in my difficulty? How can I follow Jesus' example? What would Jesus do in my situation? What has he done? If if someone accuses me falsely, what did Jesus do when he was accused falsely? What did Jesus do when they insulted him and spat in his face? What did Jesus do whenever they beat him? And they said, if you're the Son of God, bring yourself down off of the cross. And why did Jesus take that? Why did he take that kind of punishment? And how can I follow his example? And then not only that, how can I point people by my example to trust in Jesus more? In verse 11, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. And here's another attitude of Paul, how he's always putting other people before himself. If Paul was to give up his own life and spill his own blood for other people so that they can live with the Lord forever, Paul knows he's got a resurrected body. Paul knows and believes in the hope that Jesus gave. That if Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, Paul's going to live again. And Paul believes that If he gives his own life for the ability for someone else to hear the gospel and to be saved, that would be worth it. And so he says, we're always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. I don't know. Do we have that mentality? Sometimes we get so distracted. Sometimes we have the wrong focus. We're bothered about the wrong things. We're upset about things that really don't matter. And here's Paul sacrificing and giving up a lot of his comforts, a lot of his conveniences, a lot of his time and all his efforts in order to try to win souls for the Lord. Not win souls for his glory. Even when the Corinthians wanted... To claim that they had been baptized by Paul in order to and that gave some honor to Paul, Paul was not amused, and he was not honored by that. Because that's not what his aim was. It's not to cause people to say, Wow, look at look at Paul. His aim was to cause people to be converted to the Lord. So in verse 12, when he says, So then death worketh in us, but life in you. That is so that others could live that is the attitude of service we, we honor and recognize servicemen and women whether that is medical personnel or whether that is law enforcement or military there's something about the sacrificial nature of that type of service that causes one to put themselves in harm's way to run into a burning building in order to save a life, there's something admirable about the fact that here's someone willing to give of themselves in order to save others. And in all of those efforts, that's physical and well-deserved. But how much more should it be that we honor the Lord and that we're willing to put our bodies that are temporary in harm's way if necessary or allow them to be used in the way Paul is saying in order to save not just lives on this earth but eternal souls. In verse 13, we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might be through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Paul is able to endure the things he's enduring because he's not focused just on this life. He's focused on the next one. It's the power of the resurrection, the foundation of our faith, the greatest idea that God has given us. And that's where our hope is, is that even if you kill this body, Jesus said, fear not those who will kill your body. That's all they can do. But fear him who can destroy your body and soul in hell. You know, that takes an eternal perspective. That takes the perspective of one who believes in the next life, who believes in eternity that God has has given us. Through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, if when we put him on and when we put our old man to death and then we're buried with him in baptism and then we're raised to walk in newness of life, we can then know that we can walk with him in the next one. We'll benefit from the resurrection by him. Long after our body is buried and decayed, if, it, if, if he lets the world last that long, that body can be as if there was nothing left, but he can raise us. The same God that made the first man, and it's in him we live and move and have our being, the same God can raise us and give us an even better body that won't wear out. A body that we can see God in his fullness and be in his presence. Verse 14 is the focal point of Paul. If you want to know how is Paul able to have the perspective that he has, that he's able to say that even in the midst of all these difficulties and persecutions that he's not losing heart, that's it. If we could have more faith and trust and focus on the resurrection and live with that resurrection in view, would we be discouraged and cast down or feeling destroyed or forgotten? I don't believe we would. And so in verse 15... For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. When he serves them, he's trying to do it to honor God. You know how you honor God? You make his sacrifice meaningful to you. If Jesus gave his blood, you need to apply the blood. If Jesus gave his life, you need to surrender your will to him and your life should be to live for his glory and when you do that you show that his death meant something to you and you show that his death mattered to you and that he didn't just die in vain it should be to his praise and glory and so in verse 16 he says for which cause we faint not you see there's several times he keeps saying these are the reasons we don't lose heart You can see a lot of people who it doesn't take much for them to give up. They'll give up so easily just over some little difficulty. But Paul could go through a whole lot and you you can't make that man quit. There were people who were trying to get him to quit. They were trying to get the other apostles to quit. They said, did we not straightly charge you to not preach this name? They beat them, they threatened them. And then they were were in wonder. If we told you this and we threatened you and we told you, this is what's going to happen and here it is. You filled Jerusalem with this doctrine. You've turned the world upside down with your teaching. And you're still going around telling others about this message. What was their motivation? It was the resurrection of Christ. It's that reason why they're not losing heart. You know, if you believe and you look forward to that resurrection, you should never get to the point where you feel like you're going to lose heart and give up. Verse 16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. This old body can get old, wrinkly, things can wear out, eyesight can grow dim, hearing can diminish, organs can lose their abilities, you can end up needing some kind of transplant, bodies and ligaments can hurt. All of these things are a reminder the body's wearing out. Ecclesiastes talked about that, how the the grinder sees, the eye's growing dim, the sound of the bird is, is brought low, Rise up at the sound of the the bird. You can't sleep as well. All of these aging things should remind us: this body's not going, to, not meant to be the focus from here and now. And it should remind us that there's something else that lasts, not here. But even if your body wears, are are do you find yourself? Uh, discouraged by that i mean that that is kind of difficult you know it's a rude awakening when you look at your uh, classmates and you think well they're all looking a lot older it can be a, it, it can be discouraging whenever some people who live to be an older age are discouraged when the, their peers are dying they those that they love and they care about are no longer here that can be sources of discouragement but in the midst of all of that, he says, "Though our outward man perish, our inward man is renewed." Here's where our focus needs to be. If I'm focused that the body hurts and the body's wearing out and the body's not going to last, and I'm and I'm I'm discouraged because the gray hair's getting more, and and I'm discouraged because I'm not getting any younger, and and you know, only got so much time left. There's two ways you can look at every one of these scenarios. You can say, uh-oh, I'm, 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 my time's about up, and that could be a source of, uh, uh, of discouragement to you. Or you could say, how much more meaningful the spiritual things are to you? And that your focus should be on heaven and not on this life. that's going to determine how you respond to it, see, is more important. But here's the thing. Your body can wear out, but you can grow spiritually stronger. Your spirit, that's the eternal part of you. Man's a dual being. If you learn that here, that all of you, your body is not all of you. Your body's just a house and it's a temporary house just for now. Okay, houses wear out. Houses need maintenance. Houses need upkeep. Sometimes they need full rehab, and sometimes there's, they're about to be condemned and you can't do anything. It's just a total loss. Just bulldoze it. But the Spirit is something that you can be, have fully rehabbed. But not only that, it can grow and improve and get better even when your body wears out. And it's interesting how in verse 17, how he refers to this, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When Paul describes all the, the persecution and difficulties he faced, how, tell me, how was he able to look at it in verse 17 as a momentary light affliction? If, if we had been through whatever Paul was, is that the way we would have referred to it? Momentary light affliction. It's nothing. In the overall scheme of things, it's not really that big of a deal. It's little and it's short. And if we could look at it with the the light at the end of the tunnel perspective, with the hope in view, that heaven's going to be worth it. And he says in another place, "The, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that should be revealed. No matter how, maybe you're saying, Andy, my, my affliction isn't light. Maybe, maybe you really believe from your perspective that it is a heavy burden more than you can bear. I hope that the words of Paul will encourage you to see that it's, it's temporary. It's not forever. It'll pass. Doesn't that help you to know that no matter how difficult, it, how difficult it is or it gets, even if things get worse for a little while, it ain't going to get worse forever. It don't have to be worse forever if you apply the blood of Christ to, your, to you. And the, the way to do this is to not focus on the here and now. You don't want to be like a driver who can only see right in front of your nose. That's such a shallow, short perspective. Look out a little further, and look at things that you can't see. Everything your eyes can see, ain't gonna last. It's gonna burn up. Everything that you can feel and touch and taste, smell. Those are all physical things. And not a one of them are eternal. God's going to burn up this world and everything in it. But your spirit will return to God. And you'll be in the hands of him and you'll stand before him and he will judge you for the things that you've done and you want to be found faithful. And if he says, enter in, it ain't going to matter all the suffering you had in this life. The parable or the story of the rich man and Lazarus, that picture that Jesus painted there shows that even if a man is miserable and he's begging and he's poor and he has nothing to eat and through all of that, even if he is uh, having the dogs coming and licking his sores, Even if life is that hard, the next life does not have to be. And the next life he's comforted. So look at the things that are not seen. Look beyond what your eyes can see. Look through the eyes of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Look at the unseen spiritual realm. You remember how there's a story that a prophet was telling a man when he sees this physical army coming after him and he's so afraid, but he says, open his eyes and let him see. There's a spiritual army. There are things happening around you, and I believe in the spiritual realm. I believe in angels. I believe in the supernatural. I believe in God. We talked about these heavenly beings this morning in the book of Revelation. And what all they're doing around you, even right now, I don't know because I can't see them with my eyes, but I believe in them. And I believe God is working in our lives. And I want to be with him in that realm forever. This life is temporary. Which gives me hope that even if there's a difficulty, the difficulty ain't going to be eternal or doesn't have to be. Unless I put off obeying the Lord. And then not only might you suffer in this life, but eternally and even worse in hell. Why not put on the Lord? Think about this. Compare compare what he said here with Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, he said that for as many of us have been baptized into Christ, that is, if we've been buried, we've been immersed in water, We've put on Christ. To be buried in Christ, he he shed his blood in his death. And you want to contact his blood, then he'd be immersed and baptized into his death. When you're immersed in water, that's when you contact his blood. And his blood will cleanse you and... And then he will add you to his body of those who are saved. And then you can have the hope of eternal glory with God. Why not have that? No more sorrow, no more crying, no more suffering, no more turmoil. Why would you go another day without that hope? If you haven't been baptized, believing with all your heart, confessing that he's the Lord... Why not do that? And why why not do it right now while we stand and as we sing?